Parshat Akev. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. This year is sponsored by Harry Finkel and Shirley Eisenstein. Thank you so much. It's in honor, they tell me, of the Dunner family and all that they do for the community and for Israel. So I am honored to be so honored. Thank you so, so much, Shirley and Harry. And uh, thank you for being on with us this morning on the Zoom. It's a real pleasure to be able to deliver the share and thank you for the sponsorship. We're going to begin with the first Pasuk in chapter 8 of Devarim in Deuteronomy. The first Pasuk reads as follows. If you have a source sheet, you can print it out. Uh, just some uh, housekeeping here. If you're on the Zoom, Carly is posting the source sheet for you, so it's available for you to print out or to take a look at whilst I'm delivering the share. Or if you're on my website, or if you're on SoundCloud, or if you're on YouTube, there is a link to click and you can download the PDF of the source sheet for this week's share. And you can either print it off or use it as you're listening to the share online. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you go to the lower right-hand corner of the screen and with your mouse, you can click on the picture of my face, forgive the way I look, and you'll be able to subscribe to my YouTube channel, which I'm pleased to say now has more than 500 subscribers at the Chain Yirbu. And uh, let there be many more, and I'm delighted if you're already sub a subscriber, and I look forward to many more. Uh, the first pasuk in Devarim, Perik Ches, is as follows. So I I'm just going to translate it um, in a very generic sense, because obviously the whole shir is about the first two words of that pasuk, kol mitzvah But I'm going to translate it in the way that one would expect it to be translated, without going too deeply into it. Kol mitzvah all the mitzvahs um, shall be faithfully, faithfully observed. Um, so, if you faithfully observe all the mitzvahs that I'm giving you today, so that you may thrive and increase and be able to possess the land, which God uh, promised uh, by oath to your ancestors. The posuk essentially seems to be telling us, I mean, it's Moshe Rabbeinu's words, but there it is, it's recorded in the Torah, that if you are going to observe all the mitzvahs, then you will merit the benefit of inheriting the land that was promised to you, and you will get it. It was promised by oath, by covenant, to your ancestors, to your forefathers. Now you will receive it because you, because you are observing all the mitzvahs. Okay? Wonderful. There's a bit of a problem with that because only a few psukim earlier, at the beginning of Parashat Ekev, it says, Ekev Tishmu'un. It talks about exactly the same thing. It says, if you listen to all the words of the Torah and observe all the mitzvahs, you will get all the benefits of doing so. Why say it again? But the much bigger problem with the words, Kol HaMitzvah, is that they are written in the first person uh, singular, okay? So, uh, it's not first person, it's a, that, that's the rest of the Pasuk, but here it's written in the singular. Kol ha-mitzvah is not plural, plural would be kol ha-mitzvah, kol ha-mitzvot. But it doesn't say that, it says kol ha-mitzvah. 
if you observe all the mitzvah, or as I put in the translation here on your source sheet, you shall faithfully observe all the instruction, not with an S on the end, in the singular, all the instruction that I command you today. So the obvious question is, what mitzvah are we talking about? Or is this a misreading of the Pasuk? So is the Pasuk, in fact, referring to all the mitzvahs? Or is it referring to a particular mitzvah? That is, in fact, the subject matter of this shir today. I am going to talk about this one phrase in the Pasuk. I'm going to refer to it constantly because this is a puzzle that all the commentaries focus on because they are so um, they're so curious as to why it is that Moshe Rabbeinu would have used the words kol ha-mitzvah rather than kol ha-mitzvah. Let's first take a look at the second uh, source on your source sheet which is the Chizkuni. The Chizkuni, uh, one of the classical commentaries on the Torah, says as follows, kol ha-mitzvah so, in uh, specifically, the mitzvah of loisachmoid means that you shouldn't covet the gold of the idolatries. It's mentioned in Pasuk Chavhei of the previous chapter, of chapter Zion in Devarim. And this is immediately following. So, it's, so Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, if you are truly to inherit the land and if you're going to be able to maintain it and sustain it as the uh, people, as the nation who deserve the land, make sure that you observe this mitzvah in its totality. Which particular mitzvah? Well, obviously we're talking about the one that you just received, which is that you shouldn't covet the gold and wealth of the idolatry, of the paganism, of the pagan worship, the pagan temples, and the pagan gods of the land which you're about to take over by conquest. So, as far as the Chizkuni is concerned, well, first of all, it's clear that he's puzzled, as we were, by this reference to a single mitzvah as opposed to a number of mitzvahs. And his solution to the problem is very rational, that... Moshe Rabbeinu is not referring, as we in initially might have imagined, referring to all the mitzvahs in the Torah. No, it's actually a little bit misleading. It's ambiguous. But here you have it. It is re a reference to the mitzvah that we just heard from Moshe Rabbeinu, namely the mitzvah of Leisach Moed. You should never covet the wealth of the um, non-God-believing religious worshippers of the nations that actually currently live in the land of Canaan. Rather, you need to establish a land that is the land of God, the land of Hashem, a land of a nation that believes in the Torah, that believes in the 630 mitzvahs. So this one mitzvah is crucial for you guys, says Moshe Rabbeinu. I'm not going to be in Eretz Yisrael. Let me tell you, the one crucial mitzvah that you need to observe is don't fall into the trap of being dazzled by the wealth and the riches of the pagan gods of the land that you are about to take over. Okay, so that in and of itself is a solution to the problem. 
and perhaps as a, as a rationalist you'll be satisfied with that but there seems to be so much more in this posuk because it's a very dramatic posuk it's a very dramatic idea that you should live and thrive and you come and you inherit the land in other words simply observing this mitzvah seems to be a little bit I guess exaggerated in terms of what one might expect in how Moshe Rabbeinu would refer to it so while the Kizkuni offers us a rational solution perhaps it doesn't quite satisfy to satisfy our way of wanting to understand this posuk. Let's move on from the Chizkuni to the Daz Sekenim. So if you're looking at my source sheet, you'll see that I've included the Hebrew text, the original, but I've also included a translation which I've worked on, um, which, uh, which we will work through now, uh, which is in English, obviously. And if you want to work through the Hebrew, ob obviously that's possible for you. But uh, let us read through the translation. The Dasikanim, Mibale Toisvus, are of course uh, is of course the um, drush, the explanations of Torah from those great rabbis who were essentially focused on Talmud explanation. Who were the Tosafists? They were those who followed in Rashi's wake. They were the ones who developed Rashi's thematic treatment of Talmud and created cross-referencing in the Talmud so that we would understand Talmud literature in a better way. But they also wrote on the Torah. So while the Talmud deals with principally halachic material and what the Tosafot do in the Talmud is principally related to halacha or understanding some of the difficult concepts or aspects of Talmud literature, they also wrote um, perushim, they wrote explanations and commentaries on the Torah, and that is contained in the Das Zekenim Ibali HaTosafot. So that's what we're going to look at now. How did these medieval rabbis from France and Germany understand this particular pasuk in the Parsha, Kol HaMitzvah, which begins with this phrase which is so ambiguous and so difficult to understand on a basic level. Say the Ba'alei Tosafot as follows. The word Kol, all, should not be translated as all, in other words, each and every, but rather as the whole commandment. The word all in English is ambiguous. All could mean everything or could mean everything in one thing. So that's what the Ba'alei Tosafot suggest is the meaning of kol ha-mitzvah, the entire mitzvah. Once you have begun to fulfill a commandment, you must complete what you have undertaken. The rule has been spelled out specifically. The uh, Ba'alei Tosafot quote a Yerushalmi, it's in Rosh Hashanah. The Yerushalmi in Rosh Hashanah says that when someone has com commenced performing a commandment, performing a mitzvah. He is told to complete it. But if someone commences performing a commandment, a mitzvah, and it is then completed by somebody else, the last person, 
The one who completed the mitzvah is the one who gets the credit for having performed it. In other words, don't start a mitzvah and then let someone else finish it because then you won't get the credit for it. Even though you initiated it, even though, even though you're the one who first began performing the mitzvah, the only way a mitzvah will get credit to you is if you finish it. If you start something, finish it, say the Balei Tosafot. And the source of this ruling is Moshe Rabbeinu, who commenced the mitzvah of transferring Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph's remains from Egypt to the land of Israel. And it's a posuk that you can see in Shemois Perik Yud Gimel, Posuk Yud Tes. But he couldn't complete the job. Why couldn't he complete the job? We all know the answer. Because he wasn't allowed entry into the promised land. So even though he took the bones, he took the remains of Yosef HaTzadik from Egypt and transported them personally, taking care of them for over 40 years. When it came for the, for the time for the Jewish nation to enter into the Holy Land, he wasn't able to complete the task. We know where Yosef HaTzadik is buried. Have you ever been to Joseph's tomb in Shechem? Joseph is buried in Shechem. It's in the north of Israel. That's where he's buried. But Moshe Rabbeinu never buried him there because Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't able to enter into the Promised Land. He couldn't complete the job as he never crossed the Jordan River to go into the land of Israel. The credit for the burying of Yosef HaTzadik's remains, who does it go to? It goes to those who actually buried him, to the Jewish nation. How do we know that? Because it's a posuk in Yehoshua. The posuk in Yehoshua, Perchof Dalad, Posuk Lamad Beis. I'm going to read you the posuk. Ves Atzmois Yosef Asheheelu Bene Yisrael Mimitraim Kovru Bishchem. And the children of Israel buried Joseph's remains, which they had brought with them from Egypt, and they were interred in the city of Shechem. Unbelievable. Who was the one who personally took care of the uh, bringing of Joseph's remains out of Egypt, disinterring him from wherever he had been buried in Egypt and making sure that he accompanied the Jewish nation in the exodus from Egypt and over 40 years in the wilderness, Moshe Rabbeinu. But his name isn't mentioned in this posuk in Yehoshua. This Atzmos Yosef Asheheelu Bnei Yisrael Mimitzrayim. They brought those bones, they brought those remains out of the land of Egypt. Not Moshe Rabbeinu. It doesn't say Asheheelu Moshe and Moses brought. It says the Bnei Yisrael brought them. Why? So the, uh, the logic, the suggestion of the Baalei Toysfus is because Moshe Rabbeinu never completed the mitzvah. He never finished it. And his implication is kol ha-mitzvah. You start something, you need to finish it. And even though it wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu's fault that he couldn't bring Joseph's remains to Shechem, because ultimately he'd been prevented from entering into the promised land by God himself. Nevertheless, he couldn't be credited with the mitzvah unless he completed it. And he didn't complete it, therefore it says, Asheheelu Bnei Yisrael, the Jewish nation brought the bones, the remains of Joseph from the land of Egypt 
to the land of Israel and buried him in Shechem. Furthermore, say the Baalei Tosfos, and they quote Rav Yanai from a Gemara in Saita Dafyud Gimel. If someone commences a commandment but fails to complete it, and not necessarily by circumstances which are uh, in his control, but they are beyond his control, he will wind up burying his wife and children. The consequences for a person who starts a mitzvah but doesn't finish it are dire. They are grave. And he adds that we know from this that, um, how do we know this from Yehuda? Who is Yehuda? He was the son of Yaakov Avinu. What was the story with Yehuda? He was a very charismatic and uh, a very strong personality among the children of Yaakov Avinu. And we know in the story of Yosef, when Yosef was sold to the Ishmaelim and taken to Egypt, that Yehuda, Judah, took the leading role. And it says in the Posuk, the Posuk is found in Bereshis Daf Lamad Zayin, Posuk Chavvav. The Posuk says, Ma betza Yehuda, the son of Yaakov Avinu, as they sat down to eat their meal, he said, What profit is there in killing our brother Joseph? But instead of saving Joseph, the brothers sat down to eat their meal and make the blessing over bread. And Yehuda said, in that situation, what did he say? To the Baalei Tosfos, he said, I, I feel that I can't make a bracha. My brother is languishing in a pit. And whatever our opinion may be about him and whether or not we believe that he is worthy of the death penalty, my brother languishing in a pit. I'm trying to make a bracha. I'm trying to say, It's not working. Why isn't it working? Because how are we going to benefit from killing our brother? It doesn't make any sense. There's no necessity for it. We can deal with this matter in another way. And Yehuda said that they could not say blessings to God while planning to commit the murder of their brother. Rather, he said, let us sell him to the Yishmaelim, to the Ishmaelites. Let us sell him to passing traders. Let him disappear into Egypt. We'll never see him again. And that will resolve the problem without having to resort to murder, to fratricide. And it says that the brothers listened, but as it turned out, they didn't complete the mitzvah. What was the mitzvah at that stage? What should they have done? What was the opportunity that was available to them when they realized they can't make a bracha on lechem, on bread, because their brother is in danger of dying? What should they have done? They should have changed course. They should have done a 180 degree U-turn and they should have taken their brother out of the pit and returned him to their father. And then they would not have been guilty of the grave crime of fratricide and of selling their brother into slavery. Can you imagine that? That was the opportunity that was open to them at that moment. Somebody who's about to commit a sin and doesn't commit it, it's the you're the best bold tshuva possible. You did tshuva. You were in the midst of doing a sin and you withdrew. How amazing would that have been? But it says in, in, the, in, the, in the Torah, the, the Torah says that, that they did sell Yosef into slavery and they didn't rise up to the situation. 
what happened to Yehuda as a result. He was the leader of the brothers. He was the one who had the opportunity to change course at that moment. Had he said to his brothers, come on guys, we're making a mistake. We must never kill our brother. He could have changed the situation for the positive and yet he allowed for his brother to be sold into slavery. He abandoned the opportunity of completing the mitzvah. He began it by saying, He began the mitzvah, but he didn't complete it. What happened to him? The Posuk says, and this is the Posuk in the next chapter, it's chapter Lamed Ches, Posuk Yudbeis, that Thomas Bashua Eishes Yehuda. Do you know what happened to him? His wife died. Bashua died. Not only did Bashua die, Er and Oinon also died, said the Bale Toisvus. Do you know what could happen if you begin a mitzvah and don't complete it? You're endangering the life of your immediate family, of your loved ones. When a person begins a mitzvah, they must complete it. And this is what Moshe Rabbeinu meant when he said, Kol ha-mitzvah. He said to the Jewish nation, Kol ha-mitzvah, say the Balei Toisvus. Kol ha-mitzvah Any mitzvah that I'm instructing you about today, make sure to observe the whole thing from beginning to end. Don't start it and then not finish it. Because if you do that, you won't merit living in the promised land. You won't merit all the benefits of being the descendants of Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov. You will have begun something special but not have completed it. And that is a grave error on your part. Kol ha-mitzvah. That's the Balei Toisvah's interpretation of that phrase. Now we're going to look at the Orachaim. It is the number four on your source sheet and we're going to read the Orachim in the Hebrew, in the English translation of the Hebrew that I put together and it's on the source sheet. Says the Orachim asking the question that I began this year with precisely which mitzvah was Moshe Rabbeinu talking about when he said Kol HaMitzvah by the way, it's a rhetorical question. As far as the Orachim is concerned, it doesn't make any sense for Moshe Rabbeinu to be referring to a specific mitzvah. He doesn't quite agree with the Chizkuni to think that Kol HaMitzvah refers to one particular mitzvah. That doesn't make any sense. In any event, he says, besides, had he not already spoken about the need to perform all the commandments when he said, we already said at the beginning of Parshas Ekev, you've got to keep all the commandments. Why would he have to say it again? What reason was there to repeat the same thing again at this point? The answer is, says the Orachim, that Moshe Rabbeinu was a very clever psychologist. He was familiar with the workings of the human mind. And he was familiar with human psyche. By the way, I know that's difficult to believe. And, you know, notwithstanding your own very high opinion of yourself, you know that we're vulnerable psychologically. 
that we're not necessarily the perfect people that we want to be. Moshe Rabbeinu, being the leader of the Jewish nation for 40 years, was very familiar with all the weaknesses and all the vulnerabilities and all the challenges of the Jewish nation, both collectively and individually. And he said as follows, he realized that there was a built-in tendency for any person to become progressively more lax in our observance. You know what I'm talking about? I think you probably do. We're not quite as punctilious as we should be in our observance of mitzvahs. And that being the case, and particularly if we have performed the mitzvahs meticulously and chosen to perform as a base, on the basis of our experience, one or two mitzvahs, we like one or two mitzvahs more than others. For example, there are some people who love studying Torah, but they don't particularly enjoy being nice to people. They're not very friendly or very sociable. They are people who find themselves challenged by social situations. They are misanthropic. They don't particularly take to social situations and may even not consider the feelings or the needs of others when it comes to the mitzvahs that they should be observing. And whether it is Loshon Hora or whether it is even the graver sins of Geneva or Gazela, being dishonest in business, not taking care of others when it comes to a business or financial situation. What do you want from me? I'm a very great Jew. I've never broken Shabbos. I am a Shabbos observant Jew. You've chosen Shabbos, but by choosing Shabbos, you have abandoned another mitzvah. You've abandoned the mitzvahs that refer to or relate to Ben Odom Lechaveirai. You're not so concerned with how you treat others, but you're very concerned about the ritual mitzvahs. Or you could be somebody on the other end of the spectrum. I am extremely conscious socially. My social activism couldn't be better, but I haven't got so much patience for keeping kosher. I haven't got so much patience for observing Shabbos. I'm not so makbid on all the mitzvahs of Ben Adam Lemokoim, I'm busier, I'm far more concerned with the mitzvahs of Ben Adam Lachaveirai. Says Orachayim, you are being selective in the mitzvahs that you observe. You think that by observing one mitzvah, you no longer need to be concerned with observing another mitzvah. And once you have done this, says the Orachayim, you're apt to look on yourself as a pretty good Jew. I'm fine. I'm great. And you are going to be less concerned with the performance of other mitzvahs. People who are preoccupied with Torah study, says the Orachayim, for example, have a tendency to pat themselves on the back and to disregard some of the other commandments which they view as being of minor significance. Such neglect is bound to result in such people suffering various kinds of afflictions. 
Don't imagine that you will escape the effects of this type, type of selective mitzvah observance. They may experience people not respecting them or taking them seriously. Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, who understood the broad picture of what it means to be a Torah observant Jew, has a totally different perspective. And he says, we need never forget, we must never forget to perform kol ha-mitzvah, every single mitzvah, each and every mitzvah is important. It's mentioned in the individual, in the sense of being an individual mitzvah as opposed to a collection of mitzvahs because you need to know that each and every individual mitzvah is important. Don't imagine that one mitzvah, the one that you particularly like and the one that you are very fussy about is the one that's important. No, every mitzvah is important. Kol ha-mitzvah, each and every mitzvah is important. The only effective way, says the Orachaim, that Moshe Rabbeinu found to bring out this point and to bring it across to us in the most effective way possible was by describing all of the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah as one single commandment, kol ha-mitzvah. Don't imagine I can choose 241 of them and that the rest of the mitzvahs are not important. Oh, no, no, I didn't choose 241. I chose 367. No, no, that's not good enough either. You have 613 mitzvahs. They make up one unit. Every one of them is important. Kol ha-mitzvah, each and every individual mitzvah. Each and every mitzvah that you can observe, you must observe in order for you to be considered a person who will merit the life of living in the Holy Land, of living in Eretz Yisrael. That is what you need to realize. That as a Jew, you can't pick and choose that which you are comfortable with. You must also observe the mitzvahs that you're not comfortable with. Many years ago, I attended a, um, some type of business management course, you know, one of these seminars for business management. I, I, I don't remember a lot from that particular event, from that particular um, course that I took, but I remember one very important point. They told us that if you are in charge of a particular um, set of tasks, whatever those tasks may be. It doesn't matter what level you are in the organization in which you work, but you have to take on a particular set of tasks. Let's, just for the sake of ease, say that you have 10 tasks that you need to do every day or during the course of a particular period of time. Those are the tasks that are your particular responsibility. How should you address those tasks? So, do an exercise. And they made us do this exercise. They said, think of all the tasks that you need to do in the course of your job, whether it's calling people, whether it's um, recording whatever it is that you've done 
in some type of formal capacity, what we call paperwork, today everything's done on computer, whether it is reporting to your boss, whatever it is that you need to do in the course of your day-to-day -day work, list it in order of importance. One through, let's say, ten of all the things that you need to do. Now, look at that list and start with number 10. Don't start with number one. Number one is the most important thing that you need to do or the thing that you like doing most. Number 10 is the least important thing you need to do or the thing that you like doing least. Start with number 10. Because if you start with number 10, you'll definitely make it through to number one. But if you start with number one, you're almost certainly not going to make it through to number 10. Says the Orachaim, you know what Moshe Rabbeinu means? Kal HaMitzvah. Start with number 10. Even those mitzvahs that you don't like, make sure that you're doing them. Make sure that they're number one on your list, even though they're number 10 on the list of things that you need to do or want to do. Make sure they're number, of the, uh, number one on the list of the things that you are going to do. Because that is what God expects of you and that is what God requires of you. It's not the things that are of least resistance that are important. It's the, uh, they are the things that are of most resistance that are incumbent upon you. That is what the Rechaim wants to say from the phrase that's used at the beginning of that posuk, kol, kol ha-mitzvah. Let's look at the Malbim. So these last two sources we don't have translated, but I'm going to read them for you in the original Hebrew. Do you recall that at the beginning of creation there were two significant figures? One of them was called Adam. Adam. He was the prototype man. And then, ten generations later, there was a man called Noyach. How many mitzvahs did these people have? So according to the Malbim, I'm not sure he's correct, but according to the Malbim, Adam and Noyach had Sheva mitzvahs. I think that only Noyach had Sheva mitzvahs. Whatever the case may be, they had a very limited amount of obligations to God. And therefore, Surely their lives would have been much easier than ours. That is his suggestion. Rak zayin mitzvahs v'heim hoyu maspikim lahasig It was enough for them to reach where they needed to reach. In other words, if a ben noyach does sheva mitzvahs, he can reach whatever level he needs to reach spiritually. He has discharged his duty and his obligation to God by observing just seven mitzvahs. Seven! How many mitzvahs do we have as Jews? 613. Oh my gosh, that's quite a big number compared to seven. That means that we have to keep more than 600 more mitzvahs than a ben Noyach and the ben Odom, says the Malbin. Why did the Jewish nation get 613 mitzvahs? 
it seems to imply that Noach and Adam could have achieved whatever it is it's possible to achieve for a human being by performing just seven mitzvahs. And we have to perform 613 mitzvahs. Why are we given this much, much more difficult task? It seems to be unfair. And on the basis of this difficulty, this challenging situation, and we're talking about something which really makes no sense theologically. If it's possible for Noach to be a good person and what God wants from humanity by observing seven mitzvahs, why would God have wanted us to keep 613? That's a very challenging theological question. And there are a few scholars, says the Malbim, who say, that it should be easier. The, the, the reason for that was that in earlier generations, God wanted to make it easier for people to reach their ultimate spiritual Xanadu, that they could get to whatever it is they needed to achieve without putting themselves out too much. For example, you go to a doctor, says the Malbim, and he says, I can give you a, a medicine that's going to cure your sickness. And he gives him that medicine. That's it. That's all he needs to take. You need to take penicillin. That in and of itself is going to cure your sickness. But when it comes to a situation that you go for a second opinion, the second doctor says, the point is that there's multiple options for you if you're suffering from this particular difficulty, this sickness. If the first medicine doesn't work, the first solution, the medical solution is not appropriate, don't worry, we've got another one. We've got number two, we've got number three, we've got number four. For the Bnei Noach and for Odom, they only had one solution. Sheva mitzvah Bnei Noach. But for the Jewish nation, we are given multiple solutions. We are given 613 mitzvahs. The implication being that if one mitzvah doesn't work for us and doesn't elevate us spiritually, no problem, we have so many others which could work for us and which could elevate us spiritually. And that is a gift that was given to us by God. We were given many more mitzvahs so that we should achieve our greatest spiritual potential. Our greatest potential as human beings living in the material world because we have the benefit of 613 options as opposed to the Bnei Noach who only have seven. Says the Malbim, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I don't believe that that makes any sense. It doesn't make sense. Ulam ein hamoshel domelanimshel. The moshel of the doctors with one medical solution or many doesn't quite fit in. The analogy doesn't work. Hashem mitzvah God never said do this mitzvah or do that mitzvah. He didn't give us many opportunities that we can select from that we have a choice of doing either one or the other. He gave us a set of mitzvahs, 613, and we have to do all of them. We have to be able to do every single one of them. 
ואם כן, הכביד עליהם הסוגס השלימוס. He made it far more difficult for the Jewish nation to achieve completion, to achieve the ultimate result as human beings. Why? Because he gave them 613, while he gave the other guys only seven. She'techila, sigo isali dezayin, initially, we might have been able to achieve that ultimate status, that ultimate situation in terms of spiritual humanity just by doing seven mitzvahs. Sheva mitzvahs b'nei noach v'acha kachosif aleim avoida. But now we have to do 613, and that's hundreds and hundreds more than the original seven that we were commanded to do. So the Malbim dismisses what some scholars suggest as the solution with regard to the issue of the difference between the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nei Noach and the 613 Mitzvahs that we as Jews have to observe. Says the Malbim, Ulam. You need to understand that the level of spiritual attainment that is possible for those who observe Sheva Mitzvah B'nei Noach doesn't even come close to that which can be achieved by those who observe 613 Mitzvahs. Ultimately, it is only the type of Shlemus it is it's the type of, I guess, human spiritual status that will sustain you in this material world. The basic day-to-day -day life that we all need to conduct ourselves in. We get up and we eat and we sleep and we do things between people. Sheva Mitzvah Beninayach is enough to sustain us in this physical world without achieving anything more than that. It cannot be compared and when it's contrasted to what can be achieved by observing all the mitzvahs that are contained in the Torah for the Jewish nation. Be aware that what you are achieving by performing the mitzvahs of Hashem is that you elevate yourself that, into a status of eternal life, something which is far beyond your own material existence, something which is much greater than the sum of your physical parts. You are observing 613 mitzvahs. You have elevated yourself far above who you are as a human being. And in and of itself, that has a differentiation between whether you are a Jew living in Eretz Yisrael or a Jew who lives outside of Eretz Yisrael. Oh my gosh, Eretz Yisrael offers you far greater opportunities to achieve the highest level of what you can be as human being. Because in Eretz Yisrael, you are obligated in all the mitzvahs that need to be done in the promised land. You have to understand that Eretz Yisrael is a holy place. It's a place where prophecy can exist. It's a 
place where you can complete yourself as a human being with an ashama in a way that no place outside of Eretz Yisrael could ever understand or possibly appreciate. Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, is the ultimate place in this physical world, in this physical universe, where you can achieve an elevated spiritual status. And in order to achieve that status, it's not good enough just to keep Sheva Mitzvah B'nei Noach. You have to do much more than that. You have to go the extra mile. We know no pain, no gain. That when you want to achieve great things, you have to work much harder. If you want to be an overachiever, you have to be an overworker. Because in order to be what you need and what you want to be as a spiritual individual, you're going to have to work much harder to get to that level. That is what Eretz Yisrael can do, and that is what 613 mitzvahs can do. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu says, All the mitzvahs, all the mitzvahs, anything that's possible to do, you need to observe. I, it's not as if I gave you 613 mitzvahs so that I can allow you to choose one of them which is relevant to you and which you like so that you can observe that one mitzvah and that's going to be sufficient. Like a doctor who says take this medication or that medication and one of them will work and you take one and that works and if it doesn't then you take the other and that works. That's not the process of observing mitzvahs. That's not what it means. Says the Malbim, you know what it means? Kola mitzvah? All the mitzvahs. Yes, it's ref it's, the reference is in the singular, but what it means is in its completion and its totality. And in fact, that is the reason why it uses the singular form of the word mitzvah. Because every single mitzvah is considered part and parcel of one commandment. Even though we have the number 613, ultimately, do you know how many mitzvahs there are? There's one mitzvah. It's divided into 613 and you have to do every single one of them that comes your way, that you are able to do. Because each and every mitzvah is part of the process of elevating yourself, that you can reach the status that you need to reach in order to achieve your ultimate destination, to get to where you need to be as a person. Says the Malbim, Mitzvah Beloshan Yochid. The reason why the mitzvah, the word mitzvah of kol mitzvah is beloshen yochid, she kol mitzvah is hoyu mitzvah achas. Every single mitzvah combines with every other as if they are one mitzvah. Ki kulam kashurim because each and every one of them is connected one to the other. And finally, let let us look at the nesivas shalom. Nesivas shalom has a very long piece on. You can look at it, it is in three sections, but I've only included a very short piece here from the Nesivas Shalom, and let me share it with you. Oid Yesh Lefarish, he says. 
Inyan Hashlemus be mitzvah, to understand the completeness of mitzvah. Be choves halavavais shall kiyam a mitzvah. In the choves halavavais, the Musa Seva choves halavavais, it says about observing and completing and fulfilling and discharging your duty with regard to a particular mitzvah. Kedisa Bezer HaKadosh. And he says it's something like something that we see in the Holy Zohar, the uh, main book of Kabbalah. Shatorah mitzvah sheyehudi mekayim beloi dechil urechimu. Any mitzvah that a person observes without dechilu urechimu. What's dechilu urechimu? Dechilu urechimu is the Aramaic um, words for love and fear. It's the ultimate form of performing a mitzvah. In other words, it's what you invest in terms of your psyche, in terms of your neshama, into a mitzvah. How much are you personally invested in this mitzvah? There's lots of things that we do in life that we're not personally invested in. I do all kinds of things. I walk in the street. I'm not personally invested in walking in the street. It's not an important thing to me. I'm not thinking with each and every step, I'm walking in the street now, it's a wonderful thing. I'm walking, look, I'm in the street. I'm walking, one leg is going, I'm not doing any kind of thought process when it comes to walking in the street. I need to get from point A to point B and the way of doing so is by getting out of my house or wherever I am in point A and going to point B and arriving there. The method by which I do it requires no personal or emotional investment. Says the Nesiva Sholem, if you don't have personal investment in a mitzvah, you are not performing the mitzvah. It's as simple as that. It doesn't elevate itself to the heavens. It doesn't make it to God. It's just doing something and going through the motions. It's even possible for a Jew to perform a mitzvah with every possible level of um, addition, of enhancement, of performing it in the most proper way. And yet, he doesn't have love when he performs a mitzvah. He doesn't have fear of Hashem when he performs a mitzvah. And therefore, it will not have elevated itself to the heavenly level. You will have done the mitzvah. You said the word. You did the act. You did everything. But it wasn't with Dechilu Rechimu. You didn't perform the mitzvah. That is the magic ingredient that takes the mitzvah from just an act that is done. You're just a monkey doing something because you saw someone else doing it. Into the level of being a mitzvah. Into the level of being something which is what God wants from you as a human being with a neshama. That's at the next level. And this can be explained by using an analogy to the body of a human being. There are those who have all kinds of wounds or physical difficulties, deformities, problems, illnesses, sicknesses that afflict them and that handicap them. There are sicknesses which are life-threatening. 
and there are other afflictions and difficulties that one has with one's health, which are not life-threatening, but which cause great difficulty to a person. Do you know what the most grave possible affliction is that a human being can have? It's an affliction of the brain, of the mind. It could be that somebody has, has the use of every possible um, limb in their body. They have no health difficulties or problems or challenges whatsoever. Their blood pressure is fine. They're not diabetic. They're not overweight. Their heart is working well. They're, everything is perfect. But they've lost their minds. Who bebchinas Gavra Katila, such a person is considered to be dead to the world. If you are perfectly healthy, but your brain isn't working, you're brain dead, or even if you're not brain dead, but you just lack the faculties that are required for you to engage in rational thought, you're a Gavra Katila. You're a dead person. What use is your body if it cannot function as a vehicle? by which you can bring yourself closer to God. And so too it is with mitzvahs in and of themselves. Mitzvahs also are considered to be like a goof. It's the things that you do in the mitzvah that make the mitzvah. I sat in a sukkah. I ate matzah. I did the things that I need to do. I observed Shabbos. I'm a very, very fine person. I never ate non-kosher food. I'm very kind to everybody. I do all the things that I need to do. All the mitzvahs in the Torah I observe. Did you really observe them? If it lacks in the mitzvah, if the mitzvah is lacking in love of Hashem and fear of God, if you don't understand that the fact that you are a human being on this planet, in this universe, is because you are a servant of God, who is obligated to do that which God requires and desires of you, and you do the mitzvah, Ashuk Lulav! What are you talking about? I went to shul, I had a beautiful estrog. You want to see my estrog? It's the best estrog I've ever had! Ashuk Lulav! Did you have Dechilu Urechimu? Did you have Ahava and Yira? Do you acknowledge God in the performance of that mitzvah? What's the mitzvah worth if you didn't? What possible value could there be in the mitzvah if it wasn't adorned with dechilu or achimu? Ha'ikar chaser, says the Nesiv Shalai. Va'af im mekayim ha-mitzvah b'chol ha'idurim even if I perform the mitzvah with every level of hidur, with every possible adornment, it's the nicest esrug. You can't imagine it's the most beautiful esrug. I paid hundreds of dollars for this esrug. Nothing. It's worth nothing if it wasn't with Ahavan, it wasn't with Yira, if it wasn't L'Shem Shamayim. When somebody is going to go to the Olam HaElyon after you've passed away, and you're going to go up to heaven. 
If you've done many mitzvahs b'chayav in your life, harehu misbayesh b'hem, you're going to be embarrassed by the mitzvahs you did if they weren't with dechilu or achimu. You'll be embarrassed both in the mitzvahs that you did and the Torah that you studied. Because they are damaged, they are undermined, they are useless if they weren't adorned with this concept of Dechilu or Rechimu. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu means when he says, Kol HaMitzvah. The Torah wants to command us with a specific instruction that every Jew should perform every mitzvah in its entirety and its completeness. And they will not be damaged. If you do them properly with Ahava and Yira, if you do them properly for the sake of God and for the sake of heaven, they will not be damaged and they won't be harmed because you just did them, even if you did them in the nicest possible way, but without any reflection that you're doing so as a servant of God. That ends my share about the phrase Kol HaMitzvah. Hopefully you now have a better understanding and when you begin Perik Ches of Dvorim, when you hear Parshas Ekev this week being laned in your shul, you'll know that Kol HaMitzvah has so many different meanings and so many different understandings and explanations and you'll be able to share some of the, those explanations with the people who you're going to tell Divrei Torah to this week, this Shabbos. Thank you so much for listening and thank you again to Harry and Shirley for sponsoring this year.